Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me, as always, is your other co-host, John. John, how are you doing this late, in this late night edition <laughs> of We Live for Saturday? We Live for Saturday after dark. Yeah, man. Um, we're here. Uh, it's good, man. Things are good. Had a busy day. Got a busy week ahead of me here before Saturday, but I'm really looking forward to previewing this game. Yeah, I am currently on vacation, so John was nice enough to do... I'm on mountain time, so John is nice enough to do to do this broadcast, even though it is uh, very late in the Eastern time zone. Yeah. So I definitely appreciate it. It's all good, man. You know, I'm, I'm right. I'm, I'm pretty much living in the city that never sleeps, you know, in, in New York city. So I'm, I'm I can see it from my window. There you go. All right. Getting into news and notes, Nebraska wide senior wide receiver, Marcus Washington is out for the season with an injury. This hurts an already beleaguered wide receiver room. Um, John, this is a really tough break for the Cornhuskers who are already having issues with the passing game. Yeah, man. Um, it, they didn't need this. Uh, not that anybody does at this time of the season. Um, but, you know, for a whole to be out for the whole season, that's going to be kind of that's going to be brutal. Harburg needs as many targets as possible down the field. But, you know, obviously right now he's still got Fedoni, which is his favorite target. Um, but. Yep you know, limiting that is going to be tough. It's not going to get any easier down the stretch. Awesome. All right. Should we get into these games? Let's do it. It's late night, so we're going to get right to the point, people. We're going to go right to it. (laughs) All right. First game, we have the two and three Indiana Hoosiers at the six and oh, number two ranked Michigan Wolverines. This is an 11 a.m. game on Fox. The line is Michigan negative 33 and a half. So big, a big spread. That's a little bit of a theme this week. We've got a few games with really big spreads. Um, Taven Jackson has 862 yards passing on 62% completions, two TDs and three interceptions for the Hoosiers. However, Jackson played terrible last game and got yanked for Brendan Soresby, who looked far better in relief, to be fair. So the first question for me is who starts at QB on Saturday? Do the Hoosiers stick with Jackson or do they go back to Soresby? Remember, this was a competition to start the year and could be one again. Because yeah. Jackson looked better early in the year, but he's really regressed in recent weeks and his decision making has been really poor lately. Um, Indiana continues to struggle to run the football. Jalen Lucas and Christian Turner get the most carries and are both averaging just over four yards per rush. But it's actually has that's a little deceptive. It's been even a little worse than that in the running game. I think it's been kind of a struggle. Uh, Cam Camper, Donovan McCulley, and Jalen Lucas lead the Hoosiers in receptions. Um, they need to c- continue finding creative ways to get Jalen Lucas the ball as he's a game-breaker and their top offensive weapon. For Michigan, J.J. McCarthy has been Heisman-esque in his stat, line, in his stat lines. He's got nearly 1,300 yards passing on 78% completions and 10.3 yards per attempt. I've said it before, but once again, let me say, Nobody should be allowed to be as efficient and explosive as J.J. McCarthy has been this season. Usually players are either explosive or they're efficient. You don't usually get to be both. Uh, McCarthy is both, and it's a big part of the reason that Michigan's ranked number two in the nation. Blake Corum continues to dominate with just under 500 yards rushing on a healthy 6.0 yards per rush with 10 TDs. Roman Wilson continues to be Michigan's top game breaker at wide receiver. He's got almost 400 yards receiving on a gaudy 17.4 yards per catch and eight TDs. Dude is a human highlight reel. 
and he just yeah. makes catches every week that are ridiculous. Uh, Cornelius Johnson and tight end Colston Loveland continue to be Michigan's other top receiving options. Michigan continues to dominate every single team they play to the point that their starters don't even play in the fourth quarter. The starters don't get in because they don't need to. And Mason Graham's a one-man wrecking crew on that D-line. And now he has a club on his hand, so he's even more intimidating, going around just clubbing people, dominating (laughs) offensive linemen, making havoc in the backfield. Uh, I don't really know what else to say about Michigan at this point, John, other than they're amazing, and I think they're the best team in the country. I don't think it's particularly close, having watched Georgia play a little bit and some of the other top teams. It just seems like Michigan is the most complete team in America, and I do believe they would beat Georgia on a neutral field the way they're playing right now. So, John, what are you thinking about this game? Well, I agree. I totally agree that Michigan, to me, looks like the best team in the country at this point. Um, I, I and, and it's not that like we don't want to talk about Michigan. I because I, there's just like, what else are you, am I going to tell you right now other than the fact that they're just absolutely outstanding in every facet of the game i i don't know what like like how do i expand on that you know they don't have a weakness there's no there's nothing i can point out that that like oh well you know like i hope they can work on this or like you know like this position or anything it, it's all just looks so solid and that's what i'm i'm not sure what's going on but uh but um i don't know what else to say about that uh but when it comes to uh indiana when because we talked about a little bit uh last week about the uh possible um uh, quarterback competition that that could be going on there and and we're gonna have to see like what is gonna work i think they're gonna probably have to roll with both of them at some point uh just to see oh, what that's interesting we, I, I mean like because you against because like we talked about if if like with minnesota like we wanted you got to th- you have to throw the kitchen sink at, at michigan and obviously minnesota didn't do that but i think any team who is you know, like like the Indianas or the Minnesotas or pretty much anybody else in the Big Ten who isn't Penn State or Ohio State, um, you kind of have to just throw out everything you got at them and switch it up and just take risks all over the place. And so I'm wondering, you know, is Indiana, is Tom Allen going to maybe try to like play a little bit of both, see who maybe works out the best, who can be the most effective? Um, you know, I personally think Soresby is the more reliable option and the safest option, but is that going to be the best, you know, in every single situation? I don't know. Um, so I'm going to be interested to see if the, if both quarterbacks get any play um, or if he sticks with one, he finally, if he finally picks one or not. Um, but, you know, at this point in time, I guess my vote would be for Soresby, but uh, just because I think he just he just seems to have a better handle on the game and, and his head just seems to be more there. Um, Taven just gets rattled too easily. And against that Michigan defense, you know, that, that's that's a dangerous game. You know, I don't care how athletic you are. They will dominate you, and like we, like PJ said, um, you know that boa constrictor man. They'll just they'll squeeze you and, and make you make you beg for mercy. They really will, and yeah, Jackson. I still think has the higher upside compared to Sorsby, but it's just at a certain point you got to execute, and he is he is getting worse as the season goes on, whereas Sorsby appears to maybe be getting better, and I think probably deserves a shot this week to see what he can do. Yeah, I agree. I would start with him and see how that goes. Obviously, then you can throw in Jackson there if you want to see what else might might he might be able to make happen for you. But I would definitely start with Soresby and see see if you can get anything going against that defense. But honestly, I would not hold my breath. I don't, I don't care. Uh, you know, Soresby could be fantastic, and I and I would have a lot of confidence in him, but not against this Michigan defense. 
I would really like to see someone play a complete game against Michigan, but the problem is that what happens is these coaches realize they're cooked early, and by the second half, Nebraska packed it in and quit in the second half against Michigan. Minnesota packed it in and quit in the second half against Michigan at a certain point, just try to get out of the game without injuries. Yep. Um, and that's frustrating to watch because it's not very compelling football. You know, you'd like to see a team, like you said, throw the kitchen sink and try to do whatever they can to compete with Michigan. And it just seems like teams are getting beaten so thoroughly that they don't even think it's worth it to try, which is, I don't know. I don't understand that mentality exactly, but I guess if you've got a whole season to deal with, maybe you're afraid that Michigan's going to just brutalize you too much and then you're going to be toast for future games. So it's, but it's frustrating because I just, you know, everyone packs in an early against Michigan and I will be surprised if Indiana plays a a complete full game against Michigan because no one else really has. Yeah, I agree, man. I'm kind of expecting a similar outcome to the last two weeks. Yeah. All right. You want to pick it? Sure. Okay. I have got Michigan 63, Indiana 7. I think Michigan has hit its stride. I think they can do whatever they want to and score pretty much whenever they want to. Indiana's got a lot of issues they're trying to work out right now. Um, I just think it's going to be about as, I think it's going to be even worse than the last couple weeks with Michigan. Um, just because I think they're going to dominate to that extent. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I have Michigan 55, Indiana three. Um, I yeah. think it's going to be another blowout. It's going to look pretty much the same as the last two weeks is what I'm expecting. Yep. Not Agreed. <laughs> right on. All right. Moving on to the next game. We have... The 5-0, number three Ohio State Buckeyes going to Ross-Aid Stadium to take on the 2-4 and four Purdue Boilermakers. This is an 11 a.m. game on Peacock. Line is OSU minus 19.5, which is a big line, but I'm almost kind of surprised it's not bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ohio State's Kyle McCord has 1,375 passing yards on 66% completions and an impressive 9.7 yards per attempt, eight TDs, and just one interception. McCord's played a lot better in recent weeks. He seems to be improving as the year goes on, which is a really positive sign for the Buckeyes, I think, John. Oh, yeah. uh, Ohio State really missed leading rusher Travion Henderson against Maryland. Without him, the running game was abysmal. I am alarmed by what's going on with Ohio State's O-line, John. They continue to struggle to open holes in the running game, although they are pretty good in pass pro. Um, but Ohio State has national championship aspirations. And they aren't going to win a national title if they can't run the ball against most teams. Um, That has to be something they're able to do or else I just can't see how they're going to win the big one. So they got to figure that out. Uh, In my opinion, the tackles are struggling the most. The interior line hasn't been awesome or anything, but the tackles aren't getting pushed in the run game, which seems like their primary problem. Mm -hmm. And another question I've got is what happened to running back Mayan Williams? He was a really good player last season for the Buckeyes. But this year, he's really struggling at under 100 yards rushing on 3.8 yards per rush for the season. So what's the story here? Is he banged up? Are they just not? Is it one of those things where he's injured and we just don't know it? Um, but he he's a guy who has been good in the past and has not this year. So I'm wondering what's going on there. Um, luckily, of course, Ohio State has the best group of pass catchers in the country. 
Marvin Harrison is the best wide receiver in the country. One yard shy of 500 yards on a wildly impressive 20 yards per catch and four TDs, 20 yards per catch, John. Um, Tight ends Cade Stover and wide receivers Emeka Abuka and Julian Fleming are Ohio State's other top receiving options. It's the receivers who bailed out Ohio State last week when they were struggling with Maryland and couldn't run the ball. You know, Harrison had, I think, a 58-yard or 50-something yard catch to to jumpstart the offense and get them going. On D for the Buckeyes, Tommy Eichenberg is a tackling machine. Um, Purdue's led by QB Hudson Card, who has 1,491 yards passing on 64 percent completions but just seven yards per attempt so pretty average there with the yards per attempt Devin Mockaby still leads Purdue in rushing despite the fact that Tyrone Tracy has been the more efficient back with 5.9 yards per rush to Mockaby's 4.2 yards per rush I don't know what the coaching staff at Purdue is seeing John because, uh, yeah. because Tracy is pretty clearly the better player between him and Mockaby but Mockaby continues to get more carries which mystifies me yeah I don't understand that either. It, it, t- Tracy seems to be the clear, clearly the more talented back. Clearly. And, yeah. I mean, just what, even not just the stats, just watching him, he's yeah. more dynamic. He's more explosive. And there's just more finesse. There's, it's just smooth. It's easier. Um, and I, yeah, man, um, I don't know. I don't understand that either. That That's quite baffling to me as well. Right on. Um, Deion Burks is a star at wide receiver for Purdue with 396 yards on 16.5 yards per carry wide receivers. You've seen Sheffield and tight end Max Claire produce top other top receiving options. Uh, Purdue played a really frustrating game against Iowa last week. They had their chances to win that game. They outgained Iowa. Um, and it just, and that was one that I think they really wish they could have back some, some aspects of that game. Um, John, what are you thinking about this game? Well, yeah, I I mean, I do think this should be a pretty easy Ohio State win. Um, but at the same time, I do think Purdue has the potential to maybe, you know, give them a scare at least early in the game. I do think Hudson Card has the ability to do things like that. Um, they, I think they can put up numbers. I think they will be able to score. Uh, but <clears throat> at the end, you know, I can see Ohio State starting to pull out, pull away at the end of the first half and, and then just dominate from there on out. But um, if Hudson card that is, uh, you know, can protect the ball and isn't running for his life the entire game, um, if he can get some protection for a little while, that'd be great. But which he was uh, against Iowa, he, he was, was sacked six times and he was running for his life. So, yeah. um, Purdue had their chances, but that, that, uh, that inability to contain the Iowa pass rush pretty much doomed them last week. Well, I, I wonder, you know, how you talked about Mayan Williams, which, you know, I guess I'll start with that is, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I've been expecting to see a lot more of him as well this this year, and we just haven't. Um, so I don't know if he's dinged up. I'm not sure what's going on with that. Um, but also, you know, since you brought that up, it makes me wonder, too, like whether Tyrone Tracy this last week, maybe he's a little dinged up and that's maybe not why he was getting as many carries. Um, I don't know. But if not there should be no reason that man is not getting all of the carries uh, or at least <laughs> at least like 75% of those carries th- throughout the game, especially against Ohio state. I mean, he's, he is their most dangerous back that they have. And so that's what I would be doing. And I would just same thing, I guess, you know, if we were facing off against Michigan, let Hudson Carr just throw, throw the ball, man, let him go, like, let him do whatever and take these risks. Cause, cause against teams like Ohio state, 
you got to just throw the kitchen sink just like you would against Michigan, Penn State, same thing type of thing. You know, just do what you got to do. You're clearly the team that is not as talented. You're not favored to win. So you just got to do whatever you possibly can as soon as possible and as quick as possible. Um, I don't think it'll still win you the game, but hey, man, you might as well try to do what you can while you got the chance. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also think that it's a bad time to catch the Buckeyes. They're taking a lot of flack for how they played last week against Maryland, even in the win. Um, The Buckeyes haven't been able to run the ball and the defense was less than perfect last week. So I expect the Buckeyes to come out looking to make a statement against Purdue on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be I expect it to be pretty brutal. Yeah. All right, let's pick it. So I I don't think Purdue's going to have their chances to win this game like they did against Iowa. Not only does Ohio State have a ton of pow- firepower, but they have something to prove this week. So I have I think this is going to be a big game for the Buckeyes. I think Kyle McCord's going to put it together and I think the Buckeyes are going to be able to run the ball against a bad Purdue defense. So I've got Ohio State 49, Purdue 17. Wow. Well, um, yeah, I think they're on a mission. Yep, John, I think Ohio State's on a mission this week. I don't think they're going to screw around. I think they're going to come out and be like, hey, world, here we are. No, I agree. I just think it's funny because I picked the exact same score. That that's what really? that was, yeah yeah that was my <laughs> I know that, I know this happens every once in a while but yeah that was that was my exact same score I was thinking the same thing because um, and for the same reasons I do think Purdue is going to be able to to put up a little you know some points probably early yeah, on Purdue can um, move the ball Purdue can yeah. move the ball yes so I think they're going to be able to 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 get some points early on but then Ohio State is just going to suffocate them and then just take off from there yeah all right. Moving on to the next game, we have the two and three Michigan State Spartans at the four and two Rutgers Scarlet Knights. This is an 11 a.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Rutgers negative five. For Sparty, Noah Kim has just under 1,100 yards passing on 57% completion, six TDs, but also six interceptions. Nathan Carter is a really solid running back for Sparty with 477 yards on 5.1 yards per rush and four TDs. Um, Montori Foster, Jerron Glover, and Trey Mosley lead the Spartans in receiving. For Rutgers, QB Gavin Wimsett has regressed in recent weeks. He's got 914 yards passing on just 52% completions, six TDs, and two picks. However, he threw an inexcusable pick six against Wisconsin last week in a game that was close until Wimsat threw that pick six. Um, it was, they were a Rutgers was on the goal line. They were about to score to cut the lead to 10, seven and Wimsat throws a pick six to drop them down 17, nothing. And they really didn't have a chance after that. So my question is what's going on with Gavin Wimsat. We saw him play a little better earlier in the year. He struggled a lot last week and has been kind of uneven in recent weeks. So can he get back on track? Um, and I think whether or not he can come, get back on track is really going to come down to Kyle Manungai, as counterintuitive as that sounds. Um, he's Rutgers' best RB, obviously. He's got nearly 500 yards rushing on 5.1 yards per rush and six TDs on the year. However, last week he was totally shut down by the Badger defense. Can he get back on track this week? Rutgers is a run-first offense. They're run-first, second, and third offense, really. Their offense doesn't work if Kyle Manungai can't run the ball. Uh, They need him to have a better game this week and need to scheme things up and do whatever is possible to make him successful. If they're going to have, if they're going to win this week, I think that's true. 
Um, Rutgers has hinted behind the scenes that they need to get the run game going this week. So they know it too. It's not just us saying that. Um, Jackson, Dremel, and Washington lead Rutgers in receiving. But of course, as we said, this is a run first team. Sparty's coming off a bye. So it will be interesting to see if that's an advantage or not. Um, sometimes teams with a little more time to game plan can come out and play really well after buys. Sometimes they don't. A lot of that's coaching and also kind of tells you where the headspace of your players is. And with uh, as tumultuous as the season's been for Michigan State, it'll be really, I think, telling to see what kind of headspace they're in this week and whether or not they show up and give a great effort or not. John, what are you thinking about this one? Yeah, this is a very intriguing game. I I'm interested. I, I agree. I think it's the most intriguing one of the whole weekend. Yeah, I and it's it's nobody one that's not a lot of people are talking about. Um, I think there's a lot on the line here that for for both. Um, I think there's a lot more on the line for Rutgers, considering they probably want to get to a bowl game um, mm-hmm. for the first time, and you know at least an official bowl game for the first time in a long time, and they have a chance this year. And they could win this game, but yeah, Michigan State coming off of a bye. Um, and we've seen when Michigan State is clicking how good they can be, but it's just so inconsistent. <laughs> so, right. So, you know, they could, it, that's what, so I'm, I'm interested to see here. I think what it's going to come down to is who can play the most complete game. Um, you know, I think Michigan State may have a little bit of an edge as far as just talent, but at the same time, does Rutgers just seem to have their their stuff together and they're able to play the more more complete game and therefore be able to you know win out in the, win out in the end because um, if Noah Kim continues to turn over the ball which is the way he with the way he has been and just that they're you know Michigan State's defense playing inconsistently um, you know I, I'm interested to see I think it's more you know as it has been all season going to be more the psychological state of Sparty. Um, and, and also, I guess, to see Rutgers bounce back from, from that loss last week, uh, and see where they're at and, you know, as far as their headspace, but yeah, it's, I think it's more of a toss up than what people are thinking. Um, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this goes. You know, if Wimsat can't get, can't pass the ball, uh, if that doesn't improve or if they don't go to Simon, um, cause I thought he looked good last week. Right. Uh, you know, we'll see because uh, they obviously I think they do need to have some semblance of a pass game to to help out Manungai because otherwise it's just so easy to key on him. They know they're going to go with that. And also with Wimsat running the ball all the time, that's um, but Michigan State, as we've seen, too. I mean, when they're clicking, they're dangerous. They're really dangerous. Yeah. So I don't know. I think and I think Michigan State's more explosive than Rutgers is. Yeah, so, I yeah, agree. man. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. Yeah, I think, I mean, for Sparty, it's all about can they take care of the ball and get out of their own way? Yeah. Because when they play, they're a pretty talented team that can do some things. It's just a matter of like against Maryland where they just had five turnovers and just totally imploded. Yep. And if they do that, they're going to lose. So for me, Sparty, it comes down to can they take care of the ball and limit mistakes, including penalties, stuff like that. And for Rutgers, I really think it's all about can they get Kyle Manungai going? Because if yeah. they can get Kyle Manungai going, then they can put Gavin Wimsat in favorable positions. They can have good down and distances, and they can they can get ahead and, and kind of have a good game script game where things go according to how they plan. And then in that case, I think Rutgers wins the game. 
But if Sparty comes out and is ready after two weeks and can make it hard for Kyle Manungai, and if Sparty can take care of the ball a little bit, then I absolutely think Michigan State can win this game. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is going to be a wild one, John. I'm really, I'm really curious to see how this one goes because yeah. I, th- I think, I just, I just don't have a good feeling. A lot of times going into games, you know, you feel like, well, I'm pretty sure this is going to how this is going to play out. But in this one, I really don't. I think it could go either way. I think Sparty could look a lot better. I think they could look, or they could just totally implode. I think Rutgers could run the ball really well, or it could be another week where Kyle Manungai can't get going. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's I, I'm really unsure. I had, a, I had a really hard time picking this game. This is the game that this is. I say every other game this week, I had a pretty good feeling about who was going to win, and this one. I have a guess, but it's, I, you know, I think it's, and it's an educated guess. You know, we do our research here at yeah. We Live for Saturday, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but I just don't, I don't have a strong feeling about whether I'm right or not about how this is going to go. I'm with you, man. I feel the same way about it. Awesome. All right. Let's pick it. Okay. I am super curious. I'll go first since I'm talking, but I'm super curious to see who you've got in this one. Cause I have a feeling this can be one of those games where we come out on different ends of it. We'll see. But I have the Rutgers Scarlet Knights 28, Michigan State Spartans 24. I think Manungai does get going on the ground. I think Noah Kim does turn it over once or twice in bad situations and give Rutgers a short field where they can take advantage of it. You know, Rutgers has a little bit of an Iowa light to them in that they, you know, the run the ball and play defense thing. So I think Rutgers pulls out a close one, um, but I don't have a lot of confidence in that pick. Yeah, I don't have a lot of confidence in mine either. Um, and it is it, it is different from yours. I have Michigan State um, 24 and Rutgers 20. I had a feeling you were going to pick Sparty in this game. You, but, and I, but, I, but I don't feel good. Like, I'm not confident in it at all. The same as you. Like, I could see it sure. going either way. Like, it could absolutely turn out the way that you're saying. But I'm also having a feeling like Michigan State has been so close to, like, having a complete game how many times this year. And I feel like it's just got to finally come together. I mean, and so that's that's kind of where I'm thinking like, all right, well, if, if any time, if this is going to come together now after having this bye week, they're going to finally be able to hopefully put something together and finish a game and, and pull out this win. Right on. All right. Well, we already have a difference in opinion, so that's always exciting. Let's move on to the next game. This is probably the least intriguing game of the weekend. We have the one and six. Uh, Massachusetts Minutemen visiting the 5-0 number 6 Penn State Nittany Lions. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Penn State negative 42 and a half. That is a spread, John. That's a giant spread. Um, UMass has played two QBs this year and has played two QBs this year. Karon Lynch Adams is a decent RB for UMass with 660 yards rushing on 5.1 yards per rush. Wide receiver Simpson, Pope, Johnson, and the tight end Campiotti are their top receiving threats. Uh, UMass is a bad football team. They had an opening night win in week zero against New Mexico State, and they have not won since then. And also, John, why are Big Ten teams still playing out of conference games? I was... Thinking the same thing. I was just going to ask you that, actually. That was going to be my first question. Yeah. It's mid-October. Yeah. I don't understand how Penn State still has an out-of-conference game on the schedule. 
That's just bizarre, and it does nothing for anybody. We're not going to learn anything watching Penn State crush UMass, and that's what's going to happen. Penn State's going to crush UMass. That's the way it's going to go. I, I'm okay with those games in September when you're kind of figuring out who you are as a football team and growing and developing. But by midseason, this is just a really silly game. And I mean, I, I, hate to, I hate to say it, but it's very SEC-esque. It really is. Only bit. it's mid-October, not mid-November. Not, it, yeah, so it's still better than, you know, I, I still look look upon it better, Penn State, than, uh, than, than the SEC. But, you know, come on. We, we, this is a little silly. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's Penn State's fault or if it's the Big Ten Conference's fault because they set the conference games and you have to fit your out-of-conference games around them. That's fair. So I'm not going to hold Penn State responsible, but Big Ten Conference, you can't be playing not meaningless out-of-conference games in mid-October. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think there should be a rule that there are no out-of-conference games after September, actually. I would like to see that. That'll never happen, by the way, <laughs> but I would like to see that rule. Um, and then in contrast, of course, Penn State's been fantastic all year. Drew Aller has 1,092 yards passing on 65% completions with nine TDs and zero interceptions, John. Zero. And he's a first-year starter. So that is a really impressive stat line this late in the year to have no picks. Um, so great job by Aller and the whole Penn State offense to protect the football that well. That's really mm -hmm. impressive stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton are the two-headed monster for Penn State at RB. However, the Penn State rushing game has been kind of up and down this year. Allen's averaging 4.4 yards per rush, but Singleton's averaging just 3.8 yards per rush. And it's kind of like an Ohio State thing where we expect Penn State to be able to run the ball at will, and they haven't been able to. And I'm not exactly sure why with Ohio State, it's, it's for sure the offensive line with Penn State. I mean, I guess maybe it's the offensive line. I'm just not sure. I don't know. I just don't have as good a feel watching Penn State for what's going wrong. Um, it's been fine, but with two packs that good, I expected it to be a lot more than fine. Yeah. So I guess my question is, why hasn't it been more effective? And then Penn State, of course, is led by star wide receiver Keandre Lambert-Smith, who has 372 yards receiving on nearly 15 yards per catch. Penn State spreads the ball around to a lot of different receivers outside of Lambert Smith. Um, Penn State can name its score here, John. They can do yeah. whatever they want. Absolutely. Uh, what are you thinking about this one? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you just said it. You know, like, yeah, I mean, Penn State can do whatever they want, um, and they will. Uh, I have no doubt, you know, just from little bits and pieces I could gather from from some pieces of film from UMass. You know, I mean, I tried to watch the New Mexico State game a little bit and then uh, the Auburn game, which, you know, they, at the beginning of the Auburn game, they looked like they were, you know, able to maybe cause some issues. But then, you know, until they just couldn't anymore. Um, but yeah, man, uh, Penn State should be absolutely fine with this. Like I said, what I'm going to want to see in this it, it, and I and I agree with you. Uh, um not like I said, uh, I agree with you. I want to see uh, this running game um, really get established because I'm confused as well. I was expecting a lot more fireworks from those two. Again, like you said, this doesn't look bad by any means, but I want to see them look dominant. I want to see it, them just pound that pound the ball and really make that running game look incredibly effective, which I think they can against this. Um, but they're going to need it to be more effective as they go on, um, especially you know next week. So I mean, 
if either Penn State or Ohio State is going to challenge Michigan, they're going to have to run the ball better. Yep. You're not going to beat Michigan being one dimensional. It's just I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, and both teams are going to have a chance next week to see whose running game can actually, you know, get them moving in that direction. Yeah, we have Ohio State, Penn State next week, don't we? Yep. I just know they're going to put it at the same time as Iowa, Minnesota, and I'm going to be so pissed about it. You know they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But then I'm going to be trying to watch both games at once. Uh, <laughs> the worst. The absolute worst. Just do us a favor and make it a night game. All right? It's Ohio State, Penn State. It's going to be yeah. the biggest game of the week. Make it a night game. Please. Please and thank you. Yeah. No, I, yeah, this should be an easy win. I really have nothing else to say. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. I have, I I think that it's going to really get out of hand. I think Penn state's going to be focused. I think they're going to work on the run game. I think they're gonna work on the pass game. I think they're going to play a lot of reserves. So I have Penn state 70 UMass zero. Okay. I have, because I think I'm hoping they run the game or they they work on the running game more. Um, I think it'll be just a little bit lower scoring by Penn State. So I have Penn State 52, UMass zero. Your score is probably more realistic. I was just thinking, how is UMass going to get stops? <laughs> <laughs> but like you're right, James Franklin will probably call off the dogs. I think your score is probably more likely to happen. But my thought is if Penn, if James Franklin doesn't call off the dog. Oh, yeah. Well, it could be more than 70 if they want, really. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I just I remember uh, remember a few years ago when Ohio State beat Bowling Green. It was like 70 something to nothing. Yep. And they called it the Bowling Green Massacre. And then Kellyanne Conway came out and mentioned the Bowling Green Massacre in a press conference and like didn't know it wasn't a real thing. She thought it was like a real, she thought it was like an actual loss of life situation. And she, she said it, but it was actually not a, it was actually a football game. Uh huh. So anyway, sidebar, but that was, I still, I still laugh. I still chuckle when I think about that. Cause that was so <laughs> hilarious. The Bowling Green massacre. All right. Next up, we have the two and four. Illinois Illini going to College Park to visit the 5 and 1 Maryland Terrapins. This is a 2:30 p.m. game on NBC. The line is Maryland negative 14. Let me just say at 5 and 1 as I know they got blown out ultimately, but I thought they played well enough against Ohio State that Maryland should be ranked this week. 100%. I agree. Yeah. That's like, score- I don't understand. What does Maryland have to do to get ranked? I want to know what Maryland has to do to get ranked. If they win this week and go to six and one, and their only loss is to number three Ohio State, are you finally going to rank them? Because this is getting silly. Yep, it's absurd, man. I don't, I don't understand it. There's zero, there's no respect. But it's, it's, you know, if this was in, an, if they played in another conference, they'd be ranked. They would have been ranked. One other conference, they'd be ranked. Yeah, one other. Yep, exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, Illinois is led by embattled signal caller, Luke Altmeyer. Altmeyer has 1,365 yards passing on 64% completions and 7.2 yards per attempt with six TDs, but eight interceptions, John. Yikes. However, I mean, eight interceptions and they've played six games. That's, it's not great. 
Um, however, Altmaier has been running for his life all year, so it's tough to blame him for all the turnovers. The Illini O-line cannot run block. The Illini O-line cannot pass block. They are the worst O-line I can ever remember for a Brett Bielema coach team. And in his comments after the game, Brett Bielema almost came out and said exactly that. <laughs> that he couldn't believe sort of how ineffective they've been on the offensive line. Uh, Love and McCray are their top RBs, but it almost doesn't matter who carries the ball as the blocking has been so bad. It's like, I feel bad for these guys because they get the ball and they don't have a chance ever, pretty much. Uh, and then the bright spot has been Isaiah Williams. He's the top offensive weapon for Illinois. He has 503 yards receiving on 13.2 yards per uh, catch. Um, Bryant and Washington are also important targets for Altmaier. Uh, Maryland's QB, Leah Tugavailoa, is coming off an up-and-down game against Ohio State. He made some big plays, but he also made some key mistakes last week that, that really made it harder for Maryland. Um, at the end of the first half, when he threw short of the sticks to let the clock run out, that was an egregious mistake as Maryland could have gotten, could have had a field goal and taken a halftime lead there, which would have been a really big deal for them. So that was a big missed opportunity in that game. Uh, Leah has 1,660 yards passing on 63% completions and 7.9 yards per attempt, 14 TDs and five interceptions. So Leah is having a great year. There's no question about that. Uh, Hemby and McDonald are Maryland's one-two punch at RB. They have both been fairly effective this year, although McDonald statistically has been better than Hemby. Uh, we say it every week, but Jones, Felton, Prather, and the tight end Dijkus make up a really solid receiving core for the Terrapins. And on an opportunistic D, Roman Hippolyte not only has a great name, but he's having a great year at linebacker. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to call that one out. Um, John, how are you seeing this one? I think <clears throat> I think we're going to see Maryland get back to the what we've been seeing. Um, I think they're going to definitely be able to run up the score. Uh, Illinois, unfortunately... I know their defense has shown some flashes of looking decent at times and they might through in this game. Um, but I just don't think they're going to be able to hold out uh, against that, the overpowering um, Maryland offense and their defense. I mean, their Maryland's defense is, is far better than what people are giving them credit for as well. I mean, they're excellent at creating turnovers. Um, obviously that's a big issue for Altmaier as it is. Um, I can see that continuing this in this game and I, it's, I think it's going to be a long day for the Illini. All right. So what's your score? I have Maryland 42, Illinois 10. Interesting. That's uh, yeah, you do think it's going to be a long day for them. I also think it's going to be a pretty long day. Um, I just think that Illinois, the inability to block up front has just become its own story and it's just be taken over the narrative of every game mm -hmm. because it causes them, they can't run the ball, which means they have to pass the ball and they can't pass block, which means that Altmaier is running for his life and Altmaier is running for his life, which means he throws poor, makes poor decisions because he's running for his life. And then they end up with turnovers. So yeah. I have... The Maryland Terrapins, 35. The Illinois Illini, 17. Okay. I do think Illinois will move the ball a little bit. I think they'll ha they'll do some good things um, in the passing game, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I think they're going to pull. I think Bielema's going to pull out all the stops. 
I think he's gonna he's gonna have a good game plan, but ultimately, I just don't think Illinois has the horses this year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, moving on to our last game of the day, and also, John, all of the games. Can I just say that all of the games are in the same time slots? So they're all we've got. We've got three 11 a.m. games, two 2.30 games, and a 3 p.m. game. And I just don't understand why we couldn't have stuck a night game in there. Not one. Not one night game so that we could, you know, especially probably this game, Iowa-Wisconsin would have been a good night game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But for whatever reason, that didn't happen. All right. Yeah. I'm, so I'm a is, little confused though. I mean, like, I, I mean the scheduling this year and I know they're trying out a ton of new, new things with all of the new networks and streaming services and whatever. So I, I, I can maybe understand a little bit, but to me so far, it's not, I wouldn't give it a, I wouldn't give it a, a very positive grade, I guess on, on no. how I feel like the scheduling of these games have been so far. No, they definitely aren't prioritizing big 10 fans who want to watch all the big 10 games. No. That is not something they are prioritizing. Um, so for those of us who do want to watch all the Big Ten games, like your favorite podcasters that we live for Saturday, it's a frustrating experience. Yep. Because we have to pick and choose what we watch in real time and what we have to go back and watch back later. All right. So 5-1 and one Iowa at 4-1 and one Wisconsin. 3 p.m. game on Fox. The line is Wisconsin negative 10. Uh, last week, Iowa once again won a game in which it was outgained by the other team. I still don't know how Iowa does that, but I do know that that it's wild that it happens as often as it does. And it's it's a testament to Iowa's defense and special teams that they continue to win these games in which the other team significantly outgains them. Um, that's it's something nobody else does that in college football. Nope. So it is it is it's impressive. It's a weird kind of impressive. I would say. Yeah. Um, for Iowa at QB, Cade McNamara is out for the season with an injury. So Deacon Hill has taken over. And so far, it's not going great. Hill is 21 for 56 for 274 yards. That is a 38% completion percentage. Just 4.9 yards per attempt, two TDs, and two interceptions. 38% complete. If you're shooting threes, that's a great percentage. Right? That's pretty good. Oh, he's 38% from downtown. That's not bad. But if you're a quarterback, that's really rough. Uh, Caleb Johnson returned at running back last week for the Hawkeyes and had a big game leading them to victory, uh, which was propelled by his early 67-yard TD run. LaShawn Williams is also effective at RB, but... John, Iowa looked a lot better with Caleb Johnson in the game. Yeah. He's got more burst and talent than the other running backs on Iowa's roster, in my opinion. Yeah. And I just think that if Iowa's going to do, you know, if Iowa's going to make a run to win the division, they need him healthy and in the game because he's their, he's their X factor on offense, I think. I totally agree. Um, Iowa's had been, has been unable to get the ball to their wide receiver, to its wide receivers. In fact, Iowa is last in the nation among power five teams for wide receiver receptions. And they actually significantly trail army, a service Academy for wide receiver receptions. That is abysmal. I mean, there's no way around it. The fact that you can't get the ball to your wide receivers 
is a problem. Well, let uh, me tell you something though. Let me just interrupt you for a second. Is because yeah, yeah, go ahead. I saw on Twitter that Eric All says that QB Deacon Hill has been locked in through this week of practice. Um, so I'm just saying we better maybe maybe we're going to see something. You know, I maybe. Mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he could complete half his passes. I, who knows? We'll see. I'd call that an improvement. Yeah, he it would be. It. That would give them a chance. I do think that if they, he could do that, that would give them a chance to be in this game, I think. That is um, true. Yeah, It's good you mentioned Eric All. I was about to talk about him anyway. He's been a solid receiving target, but he's also a tight end, not a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. He had 97 re- yards receiving last week and leads Iowa with 280 yards receiving for the year and three TDs. Um, they need him to continue to vibe with Deacon Hill because right now Hill is finding it hard to connect with his wide receivers. And to be fair, Hill has been inaccurate, but his wide receivers has also have also had drops as well. So when he does, he doesn't get it to them most of the time. And when he does get it to them, they haven't been making plays for him. So it's been really dire there. Uh, luckily, Iowa has been a lead on defense and special teams and Cooper DeGene leads Iowa in both phases, both as a lockdown corner on defense and an explosive punt returner on special teams. DeGene just about single-handedly won the Michigan State game for Iowa, and he is, I mean, he's a weapon. If you're still throwing the ball towards Cooper DeGene, you're making a mistake. If you're still punting the ball to Cooper DeGene, you're making a mistake. Don't give him a chance to touch the ball. Don't punt, don't punt to him. Don't throw the ball at him. Just stay away from him entirely, I think, if you want to, if you want to have a chance to beat Iowa. Um, by contrast, Wisconsin is quietly having a good year, although their schedule hasn't been too difficult so far. QB Tanner Mordecai has 1,021 yards passing on 64% completions, three TDs, three interceptions, and a few fumbles. However, Mordecai has protected the ball a little better in recent weeks, so I will give him credit for that. Um, Braylon Allen is the star at RB with 472 yards rushing on 6.5 yards per rush and seven TDs. Um, and they had a capable... Cap- cap- capable backup emerge last week also now that Ches Malusi is lost for the year to injury so that's good as well um Pauling DK Green and Bell lead the way at wide receiver how el- however Wisconsin is a run first offense and will make most of its hay that way uh to me John this game comes down to whether or not each team can move the ball Iowa has struggled to move the ball but they've also shown they can win games even when they don't move the ball through defensive and special teams voodoo um, I was running offense got on track last week. Can they run the ball against this Wisconsin front? They may need to, if they're going to have a chance, um, Wisconsin has been better against the run than against the pass. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But I think Iowa's going to have to run the ball first against Wisconsin. If they're going to, if they're going to have a shot to win this game. By contrast, if Wisconsin can run the ball effectively, it is probably going to win this game, in my opinion. Iowa's limited on offense, and Wisconsin has a better balance between offense and defense. The question for me comes down to Tanner Mordecai. I think if he takes care of the ball, Wisconsin wins. However, if he turns it over a few times, Iowa could do what it does best and score on short fields. That's Iowa's best chance to win this game, in my opinion. They have to shut down the Badger running game and force Mordecai into multiple turnovers. So, John, what are you thinking about this one? Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, as of right now, I would give the edge to to Wisconsin being a little bit more balanced. Um, But, 
you know, and obviously, you know, I do think like it was it was uh, good to see that um, they do have more depth at running back with Aker um, back there to. Yes. Aker. To, yeah. Um, he looks looked like Aker, but they pronounce it Aker, I believe. Yes. I think. Yeah. OK, cool. I, I was like, I was thinking that was right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he looked great. And, and so now that you have that, you know, you have some depth there. So that makes you feel a little bit more secure, which I'm sure, you know, helps Tanner uh, or helps Mordecai feel a lot better. But I, I don't know, are we because what we've seen, what I've seen anyways with Tanner Mordecai over the last couple of weeks, especially last week, is I've seen him run the ball more than throw. And and I don't know if he's, he's going to be quick able to, to run the ball when the people aren't open. And that's what I'm curious, like, it, how is that going to work for him? against this Iowa defense is that going to if they take away his legs and force him to throw the ball into that Iowa secondary that could get dangerous and so it's it's going to be interesting you know because then they're then Wisconsin too will have to fully real have to re- uh, rely on the run game and then it'll just it'll be a run against run and whoever's defense is better and at that time I'm going to take Iowa's defense over Wisconsin's defense if that's how the game plays out. Yeah, that's a really strong point. And especially because Iowa plays, you know, it's a lot easier for the quarterback to run the ball when the defense is playing man, because then there's no one filling the running lanes and watching the quarterback's eyes and making sure that they contain him. But Iowa runs pretty much exclusively zone defense. I mean, I'm not saying they never run man, but it's rare. And their whole thing is to have as many eyes on the quarterback as possible so that they can get turnovers. So I do think I agree with you. I think it's going to be a lot harder for Mordecai to scramble this week. And if he can't scramble, does that does that mean he makes poor decisions without the ability to just use his legs, use his legs to get out of trouble? Yeah, you're taking a little bit of uh, you're taking some of his security blanket away. Because he he knows he's had that ability against these other teams, but this is a far superior defense than he's played since Washington State. So, and we saw how that that hurt his game um, against against uh, Wazoo. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be a really interesting game. I think it's a little bit of a toss up. Um, I will give Wisconsin the edge, but uh, only slightly. I don't think, and I think the spread is a little too big. Ten points is a huge spread between these two games. It feels like yeah, these two teams because I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, and ten points feels like a lot. I agree. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm looking at this, John. Could Iowa win the turnover battle and pull off the upside? The upset? Sure. Yeah. They of course they could. It's Iowa. That's what they do. They win the turnover battle and they win games that way. So that's absolutely something that could happen, and I won't be surprised if it does. Mm-hmm. However, eventually the turnover luck has to run out for Iowa, doesn't it? I don't well, know. We Maybe say that every not. year. We say it every year. <laughs> we say it every year, and it doesn't happen ever. <laughs> so maybe it doesn't have to run out. Um, regardless, I think Wisconsin's a more balanced team. Yeah. I think they especially are better offensively. They have more offensive balance. So I expect them to win. I have got the Wisconsin Badgers 20, the Iowa Hawkeyes 13. So I do think Iowa covers. I don't think, I think that spread, I think that 10 point spread is crazy. Yeah. I think it's legitimately crazy. I think this is a, I think this is a three to seven point game. I I was torn between 2017 and 2013 when I was looking at scores. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think that spread is crazy. I think Wisconsin pulls it off. And if Wisconsin wins, the West race is almost over. Yep. 
yeah. um, because they haven't lost yet and they only have to play out of Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. They only have to play Ohio State. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's one of those things where if you want the West race to be interesting, you got to be rooting for Iowa to win this game because yep. that would open things up for more teams and give even a team like, like a Minnesota a chance on the outside to maybe make it interesting, but it would, or, but at least you'd have a two, a two team race, race between Wisconsin and Iowa. Yeah. If Iowa wins this game. So I think you'll have, I think the whole big 10 West will be cheering for Iowa on Saturday, but I do think Wisconsin wins the game. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, I also think Wisconsin's going to win. I think it's going to be even a little tighter though. I'm, I'm picking Wisconsin 17, Iowa 13. Okay. Um, yeah. I think, you know, not much difference, but I, I, I think it's going to just be a real ground and pound ugly game. And it is, I think it is going to come down to turnovers and I don't know. Um, I could see it go either way. I could see Iowa do Iowa things, but I do. I will give Wisconsin the edge in this for sure at this time. I think Deacon Hill is going to turn the ball over is what I think is going to happen. Yeah. I think Iowa is going to have a chance and then Deacon Hill is going to throw an inexcusable interception and Wisconsin is going to kind of take control from there a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. All right, John, do you want to make any kind of announcement? Yes. As always, it's that time again. Um, this is We Live for Saturday. Uh, if you want to find us, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict. Um, and if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at We Live for B1G Sat. That is at We Live for B1G Sat. You can also email us any questions. Any comments, critiques, anything, um, uh, we'd love to hear it from you. Um, anything you want to hear us talk more about or touch on, we'd love to hear that. You can email us at WeLiveForSaturday, B1G, at gmail.com. That's WeLiveForSaturday, B1G, at gmail.com. Awesome. And I have a little announcement, too. This will be our last episode without theme music. Yes. We have identified theme music. It was it was a crazy week for me, so I just didn't have time to put it together. Um, but we have, between us, picked theme music, and we will sound like a real podcast <laughs> starting on Sunday with theme music, intro, outro, all that stuff. So so we're moving on up in the world as a podcast, John, just That's right. slowly but surely. Yes. We're, 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 bec- <laughs> we're getting, we're becoming legit. We're getting there one step yes. at a time, man. One step at a time. We're doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening as always. Um, we will t- be back to see what happened after this weekend. We'll be back on Sunday to review all the games and see who was right and who was wrong and what happened that we expected and what happened that we didn't expect. And p- please feel free to reach out to us. If there's anything you want to say to us about this podcast or anything, uh, you know, if you see your team playing and you want to you want to make a note about how they're playing bad or good and you want us to talk about it, you know, shoot us a message, shoot us, a tw- shoot us a DM on Twitter or tag us in a post, whatever. We're happy to happy to listen to you guys. Yep. So thanks so much for listening today. This is We Live for Saturday. I'm your co-host, Mike. I hope you all have a great week and your co-host, John. You guys take care. All right. Take care.